You're listening to Coaching for Leaders. This is episode number 68. This week's topic is what not to say. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to Coaching for Leaders. This is the show for leaders who want to improve themselves so they can better engage and develop others. Whether you're a seasoned leader or leading people for the first time, improving your leadership skills will drive your success and most importantly, the success of others. This week's topic is what not to say. Well, welcome to episode 68 of Coaching for Leaders. My name is Dave Stahoviak, and I am joined this week again by Bonnie Stahoviak. Hello, Bonnie. Hi, Dave. And we are here to talk about what not to say, because often we get ourselves in more trouble for what we do say, <laughs> and learning what not to say is important. In fact, a lot of the times, Bonnie, when I'm doing coaching and I talk to other coaches, one of the things that we'll start with is telling people and teaching people and kind of looking at what they need to stop doing because that is often one of the biggest things that gets in people's ways. One of the things I love about our marriage, Dave, is that we have pretty common ground rules for communication, things Mm. that are just either whether we've explicitly said is not acceptable to us or whether it's just something we've always kind of taken for granted isn't going to be okay in our relationship. And what we're going to talk about today is just really about building trustworthy relationships, both in the workplace and outside. And this first one comes up for me quite frequently. I'm fortunate to be able to say it came up more earlier in my career than it does now, but Mm -hmm. it's the idea of someone saying, I don't mean to be fill in the blank, but, (laughs) and the fill in the blank Mm. for me, there was a, there was a particular individual I was friends with back in college days that would say things like, I don't mean to be racist, but, ah, and you know, this was college. And then we'll go on to say something racist. Oh, of course. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing that what always in my experience has followed a statement, like, I don't mean to be racist, but is something that I've considered to be racist. Mm. And so the, I don't mean to be racist. I actually, in this particular case was pretty blunt with the individual and would actually interrupt her and say, actually, I'm not really interested in whatever it is that you have to share. I mean, it was really pretty bold and blunt and cause I, I just, I don't want to hear stuff like that. And it's not, I just didn't have a lot of tolerance and I didn't have a lot of tact either. And I don't think mm. that, <laughs> I think that in that particular, particular case, I just wanted to shut down any conversations that were going to be around a topic like that. But it's not always, I don't mean to be racist. It might be, I don't mean to be judgmental, but I don't mean to be negative, but I don't, but whatever it is, I don't mean to be something it is in my experience followed with Exactly. Whatever that person <laughs> just said they don't mean to be, right? Yeah. And there's kind of this funny thing too that sometimes happens in communities where people are getting together where they might be sort of a faith-oriented community and it's it's kind of a similar one. And that's when you say, bless her heart or bless his heart. Like, uh, yes. <laughs> and it's, it's like, we can say bless her heart and then follow it up by a completely outrageous, you know, gossip, um, insulting yeah. someone behind their back, you know, that kind of thing. Yes. So. Uh, or the opposite of all the negative things and then bless her heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then it's okay somehow. She drives me crazy. Bless her heart. So, yeah. so question for you around this. So you mentioned that something you thought maybe you did a little more earlier in your career. What if anything raised your awareness about this and what did you do to stop uh, using 
using some of this language when you were talking with people and the people you were leading? Well, I don't, I didn't, this was not one that I tended to do. So oh, okay. it you was were catching more, more other people doing it. Yeah. It was more that Got I'm it. feeling grateful that I'm not around people that say things like I don't mean to be uh, racist, but, and then follow up by saying something racist. So it's not something I tend to hear in my professional life now. Well, some personal life. <laughs> I don't hear it anywhere. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, actually you're really good about it. I've, I don't think I've ever heard you say that, which is why I was asking because I had misunderstood you up front there. And, but one of the things that I, I know both of us did done and I catch myself doing still as much as I try to coach myself to not do this is the more general version of this, which is to say anything followed by a, but, or however, or nevertheless. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to give an example of that? Oh, sure. This uh, this person is really doing a great job in their role, but there's this one area that, mm-hmm. and then we'll go on to describe a huge major issue that the person is dealing with and that management's having a, a challenge with, or this person that I am being led by, you know, they're a really good manager, but, and I, I heard this really wise statement from someone I worked with, a client, I heard this a number of years ago, and he said that his father had taught him when he was a little boy that anytime you're listening to someone talk to you and that they use the word but to ignore everything that the person had said prior to that word because they didn't mean any of it. Yeah. And now that's a little bit of an extreme uh, statement. That said, but (laughs) see, I catch myself doing it. I think there's a lot of truth there. There's a lot of truth to that is we couch our language sometimes by we want to say what we want to say, but we don't want the responsibility that comes with whatever it is we're about to communicate. So by putting some of these either things on the what I would call a cushion on the front end or the back end we sort of avow our responsibility for it. And really as leaders, we we shouldn't be doing that. Uh, we need to really take ownership for the language that we use and we also need to send a clear message. So if it is our intention to give criticism or to give feedback, then we should be giving criticism or feedback. It shouldn't be mixed along with, this is great, this is great, this is great, but we need to send a very, very clear message. And a different word, which can't just be inserted without it actually you doing it with the intent of transforming your language is and. And is a wonderful word. Yeah. And can help kind of transform a conversation. It can't be done just as a surface, you know, makeover job. It can't just be trying to paint over the fact that you're still doing the same thing that we talked about earlier. And Dave, the examples that you gave were examples where we're talking about someone who's not here. The person I lead is this, but to me, the most dangerous use of the word, but is right. The interpersonal right Mm -hmm. to your face. You know, you've heard people say the example of, I love you, but I love you, but it's, really harmful can be really really harmful and and unfortunately our brain does shut off the i love you but <laughs> i mean that's oh, the part that it's that's almost becomes would. yeah easy for us to erase it versus what's coming next yeah. and so you're a valued employee but yeah they didn't hear the valued employee part yeah. i assure you i wouldn't 
It instantly makes you think, oh, I must not be a valued employee, whatever is coming next. Yeah. So, and you're probably not. Yeah. But, but <laughs> just changing it, you're a valued employee and, you know, that doesn't, if, if what you were about to say was still the same thing as sure. the but, you know, would sure. have been, we really want to transform. And as you said, Dave, a lot of times people can get in the habit of doing this, trying to cushion. And we've talked about in previous episodes, cushions can backfire mm-hmm. and people can intuitively know that that's what's happening. And so we just have to be courageous when giving feedback. The, I love you doesn't need to be there. The, the, I value you, you know, doesn't just, it's gotta be said. Just say what you're going to say. The, the, the modern version of this is the just saying, by the way, Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, you know, or after what they said, just Just, saying, saying. it's like that somehow just makes it okay to say whatever it is you said. So let's move on to the next one here. To be honest, Bonnie, we should move forward. (laughs) Because <laughs> that's our next one. To be honest with you. This is one I hear quite often. Yeah, now me this too. this is one I probably don't go a day without hearing. And for me, it's at work because it's not something that you have a tendency to say, Dave. So I don't hear it here at home. Luke's not saying it yet here at home. He's not no. saying much of anything except no, ba ba not. ba <laughs> ma da. Not daddy or mommy yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. So the to be honest is I in my estimation, it's just become habit for people to say that it's a, Mm -hmm. it's a transition. And really what the, what I think most of the people truly mean when they say that is I want to be candid. You know, I'm really trying to get to the heart of the matter here. That's, that's most of the times I can recall people saying it. It's first of all, habitual. So I don't even know that they're thinking about it that much, but the meat of it seems to be a sense of candor, a sense of wanting to be transparent, wanting to, you know, communicate a little bit deeper. Yeah. And of course, the problem with this language is that when you say something like, to be honest, it implies to the listener, if they're really listening to what you're saying, and and particularly if you're in a leadership role, a lot of people are going to be paying attention to what you're saying and are going to watch your words carefully. You imply that everything you've said up to that point was something less than honest. So again, as leaders, we're sending a mixed message if we're speaking this, if we're recording it, if we're talking to people in front of a meeting and three quarters of the way through, we say, well, to be honest with you, so what was the last three quarters of the meeting? You know, was mm-hmm. that something less than honesty? Was it something less than being direct or frank with us? Uh, the, the sort of the younger cousin, cousin of this, not quite as bad. I, I'm not a big fan of the, well, frankly, I think. I know you don't have as much of a problem with that one, Bonnie, but I, for me, that's become a big part of a lot of people's language. Well, frankly, frankly, this, frankly, that if you're going to be frank, just be frank. Yeah. You don't need to say up front being frank. So I know we're wordsmithing here a little bit, but we just want to get out of this habit of setting up what we're about to say as being the truth or honesty when we've had a much longer conversation and that for whatever reason isn't perceived as valuable. And, and if that's true, then we shouldn't have had that first part of the conversation. We should have just jumped right ahead to whatever the part is where we were being frank. Yeah. And one of the things that can help on any of these that you'd like to sort of eradicate from your vocabulary is first to become aware of it. Mm -hmm. And so if you have people that you are around pretty regularly that you trust and you have the kind of relationship where you might mention it to them, you could maybe, if you're not hearing yourself say it, although you must hear yourself say it enough to at least acknowledge it's a challenge for you, but to have someone else that's kind of aware that that's a phrase you're trying to start to avoid might be helpful to you in terms of having it 
not be something that you use. Yeah, that's a great example, Bonnie. And I, I know someone else in, who's a podcaster who has the habit of saying, to be honest with you, and mm. he has actually asked his audience to call him on it. And so that's, I think, a great example of being present to something you're doing and then having some reminder of it too. And if you find that there's something you're saying regularly that you don't want to say is, you know, give people an opportunity to call you out on it or, and make it fun, do something fun where they, you know, you have to put in a dollar or something, but it really does work if you, if you do that consistently. You just reminded me there was another podcaster that I listened to that was trying to eradicate, not necessarily a particular phrase, but a way in which she spoke where she, her audience had given her feedback that she sounded pretty young. It was kind of a Valley girl type of talk. I don't remember exactly what it was, but she actually had where she was going to donate to a particular charity every time that she would do it. And so, I mean, I think if you've got the right kind of team you've got, or the, you know, someone who's willing to partner with you, you can, like you said, have fun. It doesn't have to be the end of the world, but just we all should be continually trying to improve our communication and have it reflect what we really mean. So the next one here is don't kill the messenger. Now, this is more of a what not to do, um, maybe more so than even what not to say. One of the things that I have seen that often happens is when leaders get bad news is their tendency is to react sometimes angrily in the moment to whoever has brought them that news. And I have worked with people in organizations where this has been the case. Um, I, I can think of uh, times in the recent past where I have brought someone bad news and the reaction has been angry or, or, or very sudden. And unfortunately, the challenge for us as leaders is when we give that type of reaction to bad news, um, we teach people not to bring us bad news. And if we teach people not to bring us bad news, then we're never going to hear the bad news. And and actually, we need to hear the bad news. That's one of the most important things we need to hear as leaders. And Bonnie, I, I've been in situations and organizations where this has been the case. And I actually have caught myself doing this in the last six months with some of the people I've led in various situations. And so I've really had to coach myself to when I get bad news or news I wasn't expecting or something that makes me frustrated or angry of really stepping back, being quiet, listening and telling the person I've done this on many occasions, you know, in the last six months, thank you very much for telling Mm -hmm. me this right away. Thank you very much for telling me this right away. And sometimes I have to say, I'll say it multiple times in the conversation because I'm reminding myself, thank you very much for telling me this right away. I really appreciate you telling me this. And then I know that even if I'm feeling angry inside, I can deal with that later, but I'm telling and communicating to the other party, I want to hear bad news. I'm not happy about news, but I want to hear about it because if I know about it, I can do something about it and I can then strategize how we're as an organization or in a leadership capacity, I'm going to work around that news. Yeah, you're really able to condition them to come to you the next time. So here's another one. You make me feel. So, oh, you had something else you were going to say? No, I was going to say you make me feel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. We skipped one of these on the agenda here. So we're, we're, so we're circling back. You, you, you make me feel like I skipped something on the agenda. And you made me feel like I was trying to be sly and transition back to it. And now it's all ruined. It's all ruined. All, all right. right. You make me feel. No one can make you feel anything. It's true, isn't it? It when is you true. Think about it. So what we want to transform that language into is when this happened, 
I felt. It isn't the word feel, felt, that's the problem. It's Mm. the blame of the other person making you feel a particular way. No one can make you feel anything. Yeah, and using what a lot of times you will hear called I language, you know, what I feel, here's how I felt when you said this, gives you ownership over your emotions, your responses, and it is also very difficult with someone to argue or disagree with your feelings and what how you felt. Nobody can argue with how you feel, but when you start assigning blame to other people about how they made you do something or made you feel, then it becomes a very, very dangerous game and you start to end up having arguments and uh, confrontation about things that you're, you don't even want to be having confrontations about. It's not even about the real issue. Another one that comes up that can really shut down a conversation is, I'm going to be the devil's advocate here. Um, and generally the person's objective is to bring up a concern that they have. But to me, it's another one of those couching things that I'm going to, you know, I'm, I get to take the role of devil's advocate, which means you can't hold me responsible for what I'm about to say, because, Hey, I'm just playing this role. Mm-hmm. That's what the devil's advocate does is they go over here and they point out all the things that are wrong. So I don't actually have to take responsibility for the concern that I'm bringing up or the manner in which I'm bringing it up. And I feel like I have to make this excuse up front for whatever my behavior is going to be. Yeah. And if you do need to be critical or give feedback, be critical or give feedback mm-hmm. or if you you have know, a concern, state the state concern it. rather than saying, well, I'm going to just play devil's advocate here and say all these. So if you're really just playing devil's advocate for the plane, for the sake of playing devil's advocate, don't do it. <laughs> it's just for the sake of that. Yeah. And if you're leading a team, one thing that really can be good is to leave space to create that space for people to air their concerns. Yes. So that role, what I think can be positive out of someone attempting to be a devil's advocate, if you will, is to fill in the gaps that are there. Mm -hmm. But you as the leader can be creating that space that says it is safe to bring up concerns. So actually to have a time, a structured time, whereas you're rolling at a project or discussing a new idea or doing some problems where you actually say, I'd like us all to think about what might go wrong or where the concerns are and leave that room to do that and have there be the quietness that allows people to generate that courage and that trust that you really do want that feedback. So as a leader, we encourage you to avoid saying things like I'm going to be the devil's advocate, but Mm. actually to open up space where people can bring up concerns and have the trust that you actually want to hear them. Yeah. And coach people to own their positions and Mm -hmm. if they are giving feedback and criticism and same thing with you then as a leader you need to lead the way on this as an example if you have something critical to say or you have feedback or you have a different opinion on something you need to own that don't don't uh, throw it in the oh i think our customers might say you know you give that feedback and own it yourself and if you do that then you encourage your team and you give your team permission to be able to own what it is they're going to say and then you're having productive dialogue Conflict's fine. Conflict is great in organizations. You need to have conflict. You need to have productive conversations and dialogue, but we just want to be able to have ownership over those. And then finally, uh, you know, not finally, this list could probably go on forever, but uh, the last one we thought of, don't ask for feedback and then give your opinion. So this is something that I do see leaders do, uh, unfortunately, often is they already have 
thought through what they uh, think they want to say or their position on something. And so they'll ask someone for feedback or a group of people for feedback. And uh, either they'll hear what they want to hear and confirm what they already believed, or they'll hear something different. And then they'll give their opinion on what they thought about it, which was just what they were going to say anyway. So if you really are interested in getting feedback from the people that you're leading and you want genuine feedback of ask for feedback and then be quiet and listen and take notes and listen to what people say and ask some follow-up questions to clarify, but don't jump in and start giving your opinion because then you've negated whatever people are about to say to you. And one of the tools that can help you with this is the six thinking hats. And the six thinking hats is a book that came out a number of years ago that helps encourage groups to think about ideas, concerns, to analyze situations from different perspectives. And so instead of just thinking about things from the, the quantitative approach or just thinking about them from a rational approach, we can think about it from a more creative approach. And so the methodology here is that we can make decisions not just based on one way of thinking. We can actually use you know these six different ways of thinking. So that can be, there's the white hat and that's where we focus on what data is available right now. There's mm. a red hat where we look at things just from our intuition and our gut. There's the black hat and that's looking at all the bad stuff. Like we talked about earlier. Hey, that's important things to do. What could go wrong here? What, you know, what, where are the concerns? The yellow hat is the positive one. What might go right? What are the opportunities here? What's really, really working here? And the green hats for creativity, which I mentioned, and the blue hat around processes. So that can help us get out of our normal default way of thinking. And as coaches, we can kind of use this particular tool. I'd highly suggest if you've not heard of this tool before, it's a really inexpensive book to purchase where you as a coach can help groups be able to put on these different ways of thinking and take it in to different opportunities or concerns that groups might not be aware of. Yeah. And as a leader, there's a lot of opportunities that you can use coaching skills to be able to facilitate good conversation. And so we really would encourage you to do that. And, uh, you know, this list is not comprehensive by any means. Uh, you may be thinking of other things that should be on this list. And we'd also love to hear based upon this list, what have you done to eliminate some of these out of your language and your habits and what suggestions you may have for us? So if you have suggestions, comments, questions, feedback about anything we just mentioned, the best way to dialogue with us is to go on the Coaching for Leaders website. You can also join the conversation with the rest of the Coaching for Leaders community, and that's at coachingforleaders.com forward slash 68, the number 68, and that will get you to the show notes for this episode. And if you go to the very bottom of that page, you'll see a place where you can write a comment and join the conversation. You can also always call in feedback to us, and our feedback hotline is 94938learn, or email us at feedback at coachingforleaders.com. And in fact, we did get some feedback this week, Bonnie, which is um, curiously a question that does relate a little bit to what we just talked about. And uh, the we got an anonymous question from a listener who wanted some help with a particular situation that uh, she was dealing with. 
Yeah, this question was what to do when someone who has authority over you, some kind of power over you, lashes out. And mm-hmm. the individual and I corresponded a little bit, and it was kind of a little bit of, you know, it's holidays, it's stressful time. People are also not only thinking about holidays and all of that, but also the end of the year and trying to hit particular numbers. And, you know, it's really crucial for organizations to, you know, lots of people thinking about the the end of year goals, end of quarter goals as well. And so how do you handle it when someone that's got power over you lashes out at you inappropriately? Hmm. And so you mentioned when we were talking earlier presented that you'd had some experience with this in past organizations and had dealt with this somewhat before and had some suggestions on what not to do for people. Yeah, I have had, I have, <laughs> I am so glad that I'm out of that part of my life, but mm. I used to work for a company that had a highly aggressive culture, highly aggressive, including this never happened while I was in a room, but where walls would be, have holes in them because people would have punched oh, the wow. wall. Yeah, so I- Yeah, I, that's pretty aggressive. I missed that one, but th- lots good. of colorful language. Hmm. Uh, yelling was pretty normal. And so, you know, that, that was how I spent my time. And so I am, I can recall one individual who would come, this is so many years ago, but an individual coming down the hall and you could hear him all the way. He was a a top performing salesperson Hmm. and you could hear him yelling and screaming all the way. You kind of knew it was kind of coming down your way because we were the last department during his trek. And so I I kind of, we had a preview of what was to come. And so the individual came into the room and I found out later, but as an aside that this individual actually had some drug abuse issues and I had no idea. Mm. I believe I, even at my young age that I'm describing here might have handled it differently if I knew drugs were in the situation, but I didn't. (laughs) And so he came in and screaming and cursing up a storm And this is not my proudest moment. Mm. I am glad it's not on YouTube for everyone to view. YouTube did not exist back then. I basically said, sit the F down and matched his language Mm. and matched his volume. In fact, I I think I matched and then (laughs) raised him in terms of the volume in which he was speaking. Now, I believe I was fortunate in that I scared the bejeebies out of the poor guy and my coworker who had a desk across from me. He also sat down. (laughs) <laughs> when I when I commanded everyone, I, mean, I didn't say everyone sit down, but, but everyone in the whole building joked later that they all sat down because <laughs> it was a, Funny. they weren't expecting that colorful of language from me and they also weren't expecting that loud, aggressive behavior from me. So sure. one thing that, that first popped into my mind is when someone does lash out at you, in my experience, I've never been proud when I lash out back. When mm. I match that force or try to raise them up that that doesn't and it, it, I cannot think of a time when it has been helpful to just escalate. Mm. So when people are behaving that way, and I gave an extreme example, I didn't have any idea this individual, and I still don't actually know. But I mean that it sort of made sense <laughs> as I thought about some of the interactions that that I could see that being a contributing factor. But you know, just down to people that just don't have good communication skills, and that's how they handle stress. They're accustomed to you know quote unquote letting off steam in terms of lashing out. And boy, if you've got power over other people in an organization, sometimes that power is going to be unchecked and you're not going to be held as responsible for the choices that you make. In fact, as we all are quite aware, you know, the higher up you go in the organization, the less likely you are to have finely honed human skills, humanistic skills. 
Yeah, and I do see that a lot with senior executives, unfortunately, that sometimes the worst um, violators of this are people in the senior leadership roles. And I believe our listeners were running into one of those situations. And yeah, what they get rewarded for are their conceptual skills. And so they didn't probably get into the position that they're in. Most likely the rewards weren't for the interpersonal skills always. It's it's oftentimes the conceptual skill, skills that have been demonstrated. And that is what's shown to be most important for senior, senior leaders. So your advice would be for a situation like this to not fight fire with fire. Yeah. Another individual I worked with in the same organization also lashed out, although not quite as extreme as that. But I would find myself kind of doing a little bit more of that, you know, at my young age, making mistakes where I'd, I'd try to match it mm-hmm. right back. And and in that particular case, the person was in a position of authority and power greater than I had. And so, you know, that's not a smart move. I would not recommend that people do that. What an individual that I worked with told me how she handled it was just to give an adult version of a timeout to the individual. Clearly the individual was not thinking straight, was not communicating professionally, was lashing out. And so she would say something like, it seems like you're really upset. I'm going to give you some time and would just calmly say the uh, calm, leave the room, no slamming, no, no gruff, nothing. Just, Mm. it seems like you're really upset. I'm going to give you some time and just walk out. And she actually was successfully able to influence that individual not to speak to her like that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's you. It's rare that you're going to run into success fighting fire with fire. And I think back to the, you know, long ago quote from Dale Carnegie is the best way to win an argument is to avoid it. Now, Dale Carnegie wasn't saying avoid conflict. We need to have conflict, of course. Healthy conflict is good. But when you get to the point where people are yelling and screaming, nobody is ultimately going to win that. Both parties are going to say things that they regret. So I think your advice here is really good of if you can diffuse the situation, step back, give that time out and reconvene 10, 15 minutes later, half later that day, whatever it needs to be. That's tough to do in a situation when someone's leading you who approaches you with that kind of anger. But it is also extremely hard for someone to uh, yell at you when you're not yelling back. Yes. And you want to compound challenges is when there are other people around. Mm -hmm. So I've been describing a couple of examples where I was alone. Well, actually, no, I, no, I wasn't alone. (laughs) So I I guess the, the, the first example I used, I was rewarded for that. I, by the cultural, the cultural norms were, Hey, you, stood up to the bully. Hmm. That's that's how I remember that. I'm not proud of the story now. I think a great leader wouldn't have handled it that way. But at the time I was rewarded from my peers, from the others in the company, because they didn't much like being yelled at. Sure. And because I, in that particular instant, won. I I think I probably, (laughs) what's the expression, won the battle, but not the war. I mean, in the sense of I didn't, I didn't teach someone to treat me any differently. I just joined in the Yeah. And this is the problem is that a lot of times when situations get very heated, and I've seen many, many people make this error in leadership roles, which is they want to win the battle, but they forget that there is a longer term objective with this person, this program, whatever it is that they're working on. So yeah, they may win the battle and they may succeed in embarrassing the person or getting the best of them, but then they need to interact with that person again, particularly if it's someone who's leading you. 
And if you burn a bridge with that person, even if you win, even mm-hmm. if you're right today, man, it is going to be that much more difficult the next time because they are going to come back at you with even more force. And it, I've seen it happen. It is really a dangerous game to play. I love the power in the quiet. I love the power in the, I am not going to join in that game. Yeah. I love the power in the silence. I do. Yeah. Boy, that's to me the greatest is you seem really upset right now. I'm going to give you some time and walking away. And I also want to acknowledge the fact that these are difficult situations. Mm -hmm. And so we've made light of this a little bit, but these are really difficult situations to handle. And so one of the things that I have has been helpful for me whenever I run into a difficult situation, particularly in the business world, is I will often walk out of a room and I will say to myself, I'm so glad I'm not married to them. And that for me is really helpful with perspective. If I can get myself out of the situation and have some perspective about it, and maybe even dialogue with some other people that aren't involved in this situation, that that's really helpful for me to keep the situation in perspective and to not have that define my day or my interaction with other people. One of the things you mentioned a couple of podcasts ago, Dave, that's been swimming around in my head was picturing the person as a child. Because a lot of times when we lash out, a lot of times what that is, is fear or hurt. And, you know, fear or hurt as you picture little kids and they're not always able to articulate fear or hurt and how it might come out as a tantrum or it might come out as, you know, it might manifest itself in a different unexpected way. And so I loved that because, you know, sometimes in parts of us still are children when we Mm. haven't, when we are fearful of things or when, when we are hurt by things and never really learned how to express those things in productive, effective ways. So I love that. Thank you for that gift. It's, it's certainly been something that's been helping me and I think may help in this listener's situation as well. For sure. Well, and speaking of fear and hurt and little kids, this is not a show about news. It's not a show about politics and it's not a show about current events. Uh, That said, I think it makes sense to take a moment here to talk about the Connecticut situation that happened uh, three or four days ago. So if you are listening with kids and this isn't dialogue that you want to have with your kids or haven't had with your kids, you may want to skip this part or stop the podcast here. But I did want to say a moment, um, something about this, just because I do think it relates back to how we all lead. Um, I came home on Friday. I was with clients early in the morning. We were actually going to originally record the show Friday. We're recording it over the weekend now. And uh, I had heard about the shooting earlier in the day. And as sad as this is, we've had so many of these here in the States that I just sort of tucked it away in my thoughts. I didn't really think about it that much. I just figured, well, it's another shooting that's happened. And then when I got home and I really read the news later in the day, um, I just wept for these kids. And for people that are listening internationally, you may not have heard the news. This is a situation where a person entered a school and killed a number of children and also a number of teachers and workers there at the school. And so that, I mean, likely that's been worldwide news, but in case it hasn't hit your news feed yet. Yeah. And so, um, I got into bed for an hour and just felt awful for these kids and, and families. Um, and, and it was, it was, it was really interesting because, you know, I, I don't normally react that way to things that are going on in the news. It really hit me strongly. And so I wanted to say two things about this. Um, and Bonnie, I'm curious if you have anything to say too, but, um, first thing would be 
anyone out there who's in our listening audience that's affected directly by this tragedy, obviously many of us are affected indirectly, boy, we pray for you and we cry with you. And then secondly is that as leaders, and many of us are in leadership capacities who listen or are part of this community, is know that everyone grieves differently. There are many people who are grieving today um, and in the coming days. And one of some of the most hurtful things, um, Bonnie, I've heard from people, and I have to say, unfortunately, a lot of times in the business world, whenever there's been grief or tragedy that's happened, um, is people telling me how I should feel or um, reporting, you know, telling me what I should do or how I should grieve. And so if you are, I, I would encourage all leaders to, to give people grace this week if they are struggling with this. Um, to take a moment to listen that you may not or not normally take and to let people grieve in whatever way it is that they want to grieve. And yeah. if you can do that, I think you are doing um, some good to hopefully have some peace and grace come out of this situation. Yeah, we, we actually, just before recording the Coaching for Leaders show, recorded our other podcast called tech couple. And one of the things we talked about over there was this amazing orchestra that has been created from musical instruments that were all created from a Paraguay landfill. So a bass being created from this large oil drum. And it just reminded me of good that can come from bad. Mm. And so I loved this Mr. Rogers quote that's been floating out there. I don't know if any of our listeners will have seen it, but I'm going to read it. This is Mr. Rogers speaking. When I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. To this day, especially in times of disaster, I remember my mother's words. And I'm always comforted by realizing that there are still so many helpers, so many caring people in this world. And that's one of the things that I just love thinking about, that good can come from bad. And that as I picture those teachers, that there was the one teacher who had all of the kids hidden in the classroom and there was no room for her to hide. And so she told the man that, the kids were gone they were in the cafeteria and she lost her life that day as a helper and as scarred as we might imagine those children are they sure have an incredible example of a selfless leader we hope you'll join the conversation about today's episode online coachingforleaders.com forward slash 68 just a reminder this show airs every monday Hey, we hope you have a peaceful week and we'll see you next week. Take care, everybody.